Friends, this morning we have combined two gospel lectionary passages from last Sunday and for this Sunday. They are two distinct stories, yet they are inextricably connected. One sets up the number other, as you will see. So we held off last Sunday's gospel lesson from John as we were considering how the Bible speaks to our Me Too moment. And we will now share them as one extended narrative. John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 40. Let us pray. Silence in us now any voice but your own, gracious God. And as your word speaks to us, speak to us in our hearts and in our spirits and in our minds. Silence in us any voice but your own. And transform us yet again by the hearing of your word and by the power and truth it proclaims. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat, and started across the lake to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The lake became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the land towards which they were going. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the lake saw that there had only been one boat there. They also saw that Jesus had not gone into the boat with his disciples, 
but that his disciples had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when when did you come here? Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. What must we do to perform the works of God? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Time and time again, the people of God perceive that they do not have enough. And time and time again, God provides in abundance. I don't know if the issue is trust. I don't know if the issue is fear. Right now, I think the issue is fear. Whether the conversation is about white supremacy or white fragility, there is somehow the notion that as minority populations in the United States grow, that the white population is diminished, that race is a zero-sum game. That is fear. Or power whether between individuals or nations. As power is shared, somehow the perception is that one party loses as the other one gains. Yet our faith would teach us that a rising tide raises all boats. That's what we are discovering in our education work. The baseless perception that somehow If a child of color performs better academically or graduates at a higher rate, 
that white children's education would somehow suffer. Now, I'm not a data person, but the data shows that the opposite is true. When kids of color or economically disadvantaged students achieve better, all achieve better. So is it trust? Or is it fear? Or is it something else? That's why we do the outreach that we do as a testimony to abundance. That there is more than enough food or shelter or housing or education if we approach this from faith and not from fear. And the call to work for and change more permanent and systemic ways to make those root causes simply fade away. So the Bible is replete with story after story about how this works. We've heard just one of them now in some great detail. Jesus is teaching and healing and preaching and his crowd is growing, so therefore the threat is growing as well. And Passover is approaching. So Jesus looks with some compassion on this crowd and asks where their next meal is going to come from. The disciples, Jesus' managers, Jesus' reality check, respond after he says to them to give this crowd something to eat. Well, well, that's a great idea, boss, but here's why it won't work. It's late, there's no food around, we just can't respond to the need as it's presenting itself. They kick into that kind of management scarcity mode. But there's a boy. A boy, and he had brought a little lunch with him. When I read this story, I kind of like to think of that little lunch as something I used to take to school in a little metallic lunchbox. It might have been a Partridge family lunchbox or a Batman family, a Batman lunchbox. I had both of those. Maybe you had something like that. But, but the boy presents himself to Jesus and gives Jesus everything he has. Everything he has. Talk about trust. A young boy giving everything away while the adults, the managers, say we don't have enough. And we don't know the mechanics of how this worked, but the crowd was fed, and they were fed, and they were fed until they were full. And not only were they full, but there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Which is kind of funny to me, that story, when the perception at the beginning was there wasn't enough. Now there's not only enough, but more than enough to share with those who still may be in need. And Jesus withdraws, and the scene one ends, curtain drops. But it's not over yet. The story continues. There's this little interlude. The disciples trying to get to the other side of the lake. The winds come up, the storms rage, they are scared to death, and Jesus walks across the water to calm them. But that's really a setup in this narrative for what happens next. The crowd realizes Jesus and the disciples are on the other side of the lake, and they follow and they ask, and there's a lot of give and take. And Jesus finally says this, Do not look for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life. Do not look for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life. 
they kind of begin to understand. And then Jesus tells the manna story, how Moses and the Israelites were fed in the wilderness, that that story wasn't about Moses so much, but about the God who provided that manna. And they respond, rightly so, with faith, give us this bread always. And even though we know we are talking about physical bread, the bread that fills our bellies to fuel us and energize us, Jesus is ready to pivot. And he does. I am the bread of life, he says. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's not one or the other in his mind. Remember, Jesus looked upon the hungry crowd and gave them something to eat. He knows we need food, physical food, all of us. But he demonstrated that in a new way by identifying this deeper hunger that we all have. That once our physical hunger is met, we hunger for a spiritual food. And he meets that need as well. Not only does he meet that need, he embodies that need. I am the bread of life, he says. Now there is a crowd of those bureaucrats around the edges of the gathering. They are threatened by this. As you keep following the story in John 6 and beyond, we know what is going to happen. What Jesus said is a threat to the status quo, to those in power to those committed to a fear-based and scarcity-driven religion and politics. Jesus says in his words and his life what we know, that there is enough, there is more than enough, bread and education and justice and grace and hope and love, more than enough faith. of the feeding of the crowd. Janet Hunt writes this. Some prefer to think of it as a kind of supernatural miracle. Others insist it would be as much of a miracle if, following a child's example, everyone simply put on the table what they had brought. In a world where we are all too quick to hold tight to what is ours, Janet Hunt writes, and awfully slow to share, the latter would seem to be as miraculous an event as any. So there is an ethical component to this, of course there is, embedded in the call to all of us to share abundantly. Whether it be peanut butter or bread or something more systemic, share what we have, an ethical calling. But ethics without the underpinnings of faith, are not sustainable. William Loder writes this. This story is a healthy antidote to activism, which, without being rooted in a deep spiritual relationship, has difficulty sustaining itself and becomes in danger of a return to rules and obligations. John's Gospel calls us back to the spirituality of relationship in which love is celebrated and generated. That is profound nourishment. We will come to this table 
in just a moment or two. And as you do, as you walk one with another forward and receive these gifts, think of those who are hungry this day in our community, in our city, in our world. Think of them and our response. Think of where you are hungry, whether in body or mind or spirit, and where you find satisfaction. Think about this literal bread we share in community and how we are called to share our bread. And think in whatever ways the Spirit calls you. Think about Jesus, who provides bread for life, who is the bread of life. May we be fed, and may we feed those in need in body and mind and in spirit, as we cling fast to the promises of the one we call the bread of life. Amen.